Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Hi, folks. A quick, I guess, disclaimer before we get on with today's episode today. We're hearing from Samar Michaela about management buyouts. The thing I wanted to let you know is that Bentley the dog, Samar's dog, also has some views about management buyouts and, you know, about which way the wind is blowing and who might be walking across the backyard and, I don't know, all sorts of other things that Bentley the dog was thinking about. And Bentley the dog, you know, was providing his input from the sidelines as well. So you might hear that. You might be able to decipher it. If you do, let us know what Bentley was saying. But I just wanted to give you a heads up that you'll hear a little bit from Bentley as well. Soldier on because the words from Samar are awesome, even though Bentley was trying to get her attention. Okay, on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Samar Michaela about management buyout, about boardroom culture and about finances. Before we start that conversation, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today. For me, I'm on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to elders past and present. I acknowledge their continuing connection to land, waters and culture As I've said before, I support the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I'll be voting yes. I've done a podcast about why that's important. And I encourage others in the Take On Board community to do the same. Now, let me introduce Samar. Samar is on the Finance and Investment Committee for In Touch, an organisation providing services, programs and responses to family violence in migrant and refugee communities. She's also a former board member of YWCA Victoria, an awesome organisation with a great alumni. (laughs) Samar is the co-CEO at Scale Investors, and we'll hear more about that soon. An early stage angel syndicate that invests in exceptional gender diverse entrepreneurs. Samar began her career in logistics and commodity trading, then went to London and got into finance, before coming home and spending 10 years at JB Weir in various executive roles. Principally, however, she's managed the market desk, working on a range of deals across all asset classes. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Samar. Thanks so much for having me, Halia. Great to be here. It is awesome to have you. 
And I really want to talk about the management buyout because that's when I first reached out to you and said, hey, let's get you on the podcast. But before we delve in there, as always, I want to dig a little bit deeper about you. So can you tell me a story about young Samar that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Melbourne, born and bred, been here my pretty much most of my life. And education was always at the forefront of growing up and really important opportunity that my parents provided to me and one that I fully took advantage of and and was at uni and and then did a postgrad and just wanted to continue. I say this about my son all the time, like he started prep last year and the teacher asked, what are your goals for, for your son? And the only thing I wrote was I want him to learn to love to learn. Because I think if you learn to love to learn, you never stop. And it's something that I really value in any person or people that I meet. I think that's the story. Like I was given and afforded an opportunity to fall in love with learning and have never really stopped and find that the more you learn, the less you know. And so you want to learn more. And yeah, I think that pretty much sums up like my growing up years and and kind of getting to where I got to now. When you were a child, what were some of the things you loved to learn? I always liked to learn a new sport or like perfect. I think because I I was surrounded by boys growing up as well. So I just wanted to be the best. (laughs) I'm like very competitive. And it was really funny the other day I was playing with my son and I'm even competitive with him. And my mum was like, he's six years old. (laughs) Uh, Because he was really competitive. And I was like, why are you being so competitive? And like, you know, apple tree that doesn't really <laughs> kind of explains it. <laughs> Thanks, mum. Yeah, yep. cheers, mum. Yeah, I wonder who I got that from. But um, yeah, I think learning and perfecting something is what I really enjoy. And then I think more so as I've gotten older, like working out what I'm good at. And so I felt like tactical things were easier to learn for me growing up rather than theory. I mean, really, it's application. If I find something that I enjoy, then it's easier to learn. So if I'm using my hands and my brain, like it usually, just like I'm doing now, (laughs) it it kind of flows better. I don't know. (laughs) Interesting. Well, which is why learning in sport works well for you because you're using your hands or your feet and your brain at the same time. Mm. What's your favourite sport that you like playing? Tennis. (laughs) I've actually just got back into it this year and I don't think I've committed to something for so long in a very long time. So I play every single weekend with my friends. We have a coach. He's from Colombia. It just makes it feel really legitimate. (laughs) Um, And we just keep getting better and it's super fun. I, I just love it. Like the hour and a bit goes so quickly. Oh, how fantastic. And such a, you know, good for mental health, good for physical health, probably good for social health as well. If you're doing it with your friends, that is fabulous. Yeah. It certainly ticks all those boxes for sure. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for letting us delve in there. It'd be interesting, um, you know, in years to come when your son's on a podcast and they say, you know, tell us about something about your childhood <laughs> that tells you a bit about where you got here today. And he'll be saying, well, there was this time when I was playing my mum and she was being really competitive. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, so cute. <laughs> so thinking about learning new things, you at Scale have recently been through a management buyout. You were part of the management buyout. And I think that's a story that would be really interesting for some of the take on board community. And at some stage, we might try and tee it up to have a conversation with your chair as well. Tell us about what happened. Where should we start about the management buyout? 
Yeah, I think, you know, the two topics I wanted to sort of focus on today in terms of governance were culture and finance. And I honestly think they're the things that kind of led us to this point because board culture and boardroom culture is incredibly important. And I think when I first stepped into the co-CEO role, both Chelsea and I, in 2021, and I, and I think this is a very common sort of thing. It's not not new to any of your audience, no doubt. But there can be so much of a with management and the board a them and us type scenario that kind of plays out. And I remember speaking to the CEO of Giant Leap at the time. So that's a early stage venture impact fund in Australia. And he was telling me that you need to really quickly get from them and us to us all together as, as one kind of cohesive team. And I think that was a really great lesson to learn super early on, even though like I had, I've had plenty of boardroom exposure in my time, it's been in different capacities. It's not me being in the management seat and it's a very different seat to be in, I guess, and to play from. So that was a really important kind of cultural lesson and it took time, absolutely, but we became really a team, like it really felt like a team. And so it was really kind of bittersweet when the time came to sort of make a decision on how does this business move forward? What is the next frontier? Which the strategy was already something that we had worked through with the board and had all unanimously agreed on where we're going to take scale investors. So we are an angel syndicate. We've been like that for 10 years. We were started by, you know, some really prominent, incredible women, formidable women in the ecosystem. So Carol Schwartz, Annette Kimmett. And Susan Oliver were the three original founders and Laura McKenzie was the founding CEO. And it was set up as a a traditional syndicate in that, you know, the members that were part of that, which were predominantly their networks, um, were finding opportunities to invest in in exceptional women entrepreneurs across Australia. And it was really predicated on getting women investors included in this incredible asset class and educating them on what it is to become an angel investor and the opportunities that that then kind of flow from that. And I think that is really the DNA of scale investors, but it is not a sustainable model. Uh, the notoriously unsustainable angel networks are, they just do not make any money and they're just not sustainable, right? As a business model. So that brings us to finance and especially an area that, you know, I know you've spoken about a lot on your podcast and you know, with our time at YWCA and, and the kind of really aligned things that we work on and believe in, understanding your finances is everything. <laughs> and I think it's just is something that I'm continuing to learn. I'm certainly not the best at it. I think that was part of the informal exit interviews and areas of improvement that the board sort of left us with was how important finance is and, and being really clear about what are the key drivers of your business and your metrics and and how you're kind of measuring up against them. And, you know, the culture and finance together led us to this position and this incredible opportunity where we had positioned with, um, so the the founders that I mentioned were the shareholders of the company and then there was an incredible board. So Catherine Robson was the chair, Vicky Papakristos was one of the board members, Penny Hurd, who's from Unisuper, she's head of investments there. And Adam Pascoe, who's a tax partner at PwC. So like a great board, we're surrounded by incredible people. And we're really fortunate to say that they still are literally on speed dial. I think that was part of my like our our exit lunch when my my speech saying, you know, you're going to be on speed dial. But truly, like they they pick up the phone, they absolutely are supportive. But that was one thing that really, that they really left us with is, you know, culture starts from the start. 
and you set the tone from the beginning and I think we all kind of went in and the seed was planted by Catherine to us that you could take over as in the management could. And she probably said this, you know, maybe two or so months before. And then they tried to sort of bring it up a couple of times. And I, I think, you know, sometimes when you're not ready to hear something and you don't really see it as a real option, you're like, but what does that actually mean? I've done so many transactions, given my background, being part of the Medibank transaction, which was one of the biggest transactions in Australia after Telstra too. Like I've been part of some incredible transactions and like really small, obviously angel transactions and everything in between and every sort of asset class but I'd never really been part of like something from scratch like literally we were I was like I think we should think about this so it was the it was actually the Easter weekend this year where Chelsea and I had uh, caught up with some friends and then we were catching up after to do some work and I said to her I'm like, I think we should pitch a management buyout to the board I think they would be really open to it at least exploring it like we don't have all the answers but Let's just pitch the idea. And we thought to ourselves, Rue Harris, who is our incredible CIO now, was our investment manager at the time. We were both like, we think she'll be in. We haven't asked her. We haven't spoken about this, but we think she'll be in. I mean, it's so hard to employ people, but there was so much clear alignment when we met Rue and got her involved in the business. We didn't even have finish our sentence before she was like, I'm 100% on board. In fact, I will only be part of the management buyer. I don't want to continue in the same capacity. Like she went to that extent, right? So everyone was all in. The board nearly fell off their chairs. They were really excited. And then we basically spent two weeks in loads of meetings, late nights, early mornings, weekends. But it was one of the best transactions I've ever worked on. And I think that it was a unanimous position for everyone, including the shareholders, which, you know, we were having obviously an arm's length transaction there with the board sort of being our conduit. But after that, it was just great. And they're so supportive of where we're wanting to take the business, which is essentially shifting away from a, so the syndicate and the community and the network is something that will always be, like I mentioned, it's part of our DNA. It's what makes us successful. It's our secret source, right? Being able to lean on all of those. But the business model is shifting to more of a funds management model. So we're currently just launched a new product, a fund. And so we're running, trying to raise some money people would say we're crazy. Like it's not a great time to be doing that right now. But I think from an investment perspective, it actually is because, you know, valuations have come off. So you're not in the 2021 environment where you're paying top dollar for businesses. You're actually paying reasonable, if not good prices. So yeah, we're just trying to create that burning platform and and get more people involved in early stage Denderland's investment opportunities. I mean, it's arguably the the arbitrage opportunity in this subsector. And in this asset class. So that's really what we're aiming for now. So it's exciting and really scary at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, there's so much to delve into already in there. But I just want to take a little step back in it. What was the problem you were trying to solve, I guess, with their management buyout? Like, why did it come up? Why was it we need something different to what we're currently doing? The catalyst was, I think, probably two things, if I were to kind of distill it down. Uh, Firstly, like risk appetite. I think the board that I mentioned, really, they've got incredible reputations that they obviously want to protect. And we inherently work in the arguably the most riskiest asset class, right? And as I mentioned, in a business model that has basically been funded by the government for its entire 10 years, predominantly. And you pay a membership as well to be part of scale. But predominantly, 
government funded and government backed. But you don't need to look in a crystal ball to know that that is not going to happen moving into the future, especially for our for-purpose, for-profit business. Like we are, and that was something that Chelsea and I intentionally did when we came into the role as well, is we significantly pursued a proper non-profit pathway because we're like, okay, well, maybe we could take advantage and, you know, commercially it sort of makes a lot of sense and we can get lots of support from top tier firms and, but yeah, it just didn't work out. And, and for right reasons, I think there is a fundamental issue with women led businesses being charities or being nonprofits, especially when they're investing and putting their hard earned dollars into opportunities that they absolutely should expect an incredible return from. And research would back that theory up that diverse teams outperform. So, so why wouldn't you put your money where your mouth is and sort of back it all the way? So I think the culmination of the the macro environment in terms of not being supported by the government anymore and sort of accepting that we're going to go in as a for-profit business for purpose, it meant the risk and the stakes were incredibly heightened from a board and from a director kind of fiduciary uh, responsibility point of view. I just don't think that was something that was palatable moving forward. And also the timing, like the founders and the board, the board had been there for, some of them had been there for five years, four, four years, invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, volunteers, right? But you wouldn't know it and they're the best type, right? And same with the founders. They'd invested 10 years of their life into scale and and supporting it in that capacity as true members and then as shareholders and obviously taking on that risk too. So I just think it was time for them, especially for the shareholders, you know, they saw that 10 years ago no one was even talking about this. And look, 10 years on, everyone's talking about it. There's clearly not enough action. You know, the statistics have gone backwards and we're here to sort of take it to the next level and and really close the investment gender gap. But um yeah, we're really determined to make that happen and that's why the opportunity came. That's how it came about, I guess. And it's interesting hearing in there. So it's, you want to take it to the next level, get that risk appetite to align with that. You'd spoken at the start about culture and alignment and being us, not us and them, but us. And it sounds like that's the sort of environment that was in place where perhaps a seed could be planted with you around maybe this is something to think about. And then months later, it's like, yeah, this is something we want to think about and let's think about it. Let's now have the conversation in an open way with the board and with other stakeholders, shareholders and stakeholders about how this can really work in a way that's best for everybody. Kind of sounds like scale grew up and it was time to move out of home and everybody agreed it was the right time to move out of home in a way. Oh, it's the perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's time to grow up. (laughs) So from your perspective then sitting in the co-CEO role, actually how long have you been in the co-CEO role? Since March 2021. Okay, so a couple of years and then this comes up two years later essentially. Correct. Okay, so you've been in the business long enough to really get a grip on where it's at and what needs to happen next. Yeah, so I actually started in 2019 with Scale and Chelsea started in 2018. So we've both been there five and four years respectively and Rue's been in the business for a couple of years. That is absolutely and one of the, probably the third factor in terms of why it was time and there was the confidence in the management team to hand hand it over because I think that's absolutely a decision that the board needs to make. You know, they can't just hand it over to someone because someone's taking the risk from them. Like they need to hand it over to someone that they think can actually thrive in the business it just felt like the stars all aligned, right? It was just the perfect timing to 
take the business forward and and kind of do it the way that we think it should be done and and still fulfilling the sort of destiny of what you know we want to realize the potential as opposed to it have been this potential that was never realized and you know I don't want to kind of die imagining or, or wondering if if I didn't do it at least this way we're just you know it's either going to do really well or or not it's kind of the <laughs> go big or go home <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so then I'm wondering it sounds you had the confidence in the management in place you had a strong culture in place you're across your finances you were saying that was some of the key things to have in place I'm wondering in as much detail as you're able to share you know there must have been some challenges in there what might been some of the the hurdles that you needed to get over to make this happen as well I mean, I may have alluded to this a little bit, but I think reputation was the biggest, by far the biggest hurdle, providing the board and especially the shareholders with confidence that their reputation is not going to be ruined because we're we're still using the business name, for example. I mean, that was a conversation that initially came up like, well, okay, yeah, we'll sell it to you, but um, you're going to have to change the business name and do a brand refresh and all this kind of stuff. And so that came up initially, but um, that was squashed pretty quickly. Actually, by the, you know, I think a couple of the shareholders said that's a waste of money and they probably need the brand. You know, I mean, they've worked on the brand for the last however long. So they should be able to leverage that certainly in the short, in the short term. I mean, and who knows? Like that's obviously still something that is always on the cards. I think reputation is navigating that in the, in the agreements that we had to pull together. Also the timing, we had an incredible, like I said, it was two and a half weeks. I think we got this deal done in which is incredibly short. Like it is borderline unheard of. And I think that comes down to the relationships and the, and the quality of those relationships across management and the board and the shareholders. Like there was this kind of triage of clear kind of principle alignment from everyone and always like we literally would always go back to that in every conversation we had. And there were a lot of conversations that we had during that period of time. That was certainly really important. I think the other challenging one was how do you practically sort of work through and provide, you know, the assurances to the outgoing kind of shareholders and board that their interests will be protected and, yeah, and all of that. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today about management buyout and the important things there? I think that it's not a very common thing to happen but is an, is an opportunity that should definitely be looked at seriously. And I think if it makes you scared, you should definitely do it. <laughs> Lean in. Yep. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where we kind of landed. Is I'm not sure we would. Well, Chelsea and I were like, I mean, what's the alternative? We have to go and find a job and work for someone. Oh, we'll like come up with an idea. Well, we've got a great idea right here. <laughs> I think that came down to that as well. Like we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain, and so why not take the opportunity? Yeah. So I think that's what I'd leave everyone with is like. If you can, do it. And then, yeah, just make sure you're on top of your numbers. And <laughs> I mean, I've got a very high risk tolerance, clearly, given the space I work in. But, yeah, just being really clear about that. And I think, you know, that's definitely something that the formal board and also who your customers are and, and focusing in on that. And I think that's something that I'll continue to learn. Those two things I'll continue to learn. And the culture piece as well, for sure. Like try and make it us as much as possible. It's got to be a cohesive team at the board if you have a board. And I think they're probably the three things. And is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Yeah, I mean, it sounds so cliche being in this space, but um, 
I've recently really got into the Diary of a CEO. It's incredible podcast series. Steve Bamblett goes really deep. Look, every episode is like two hours, so I know it's not for everyone. I have a long commute, so it's it's good for me. <laughs> and, yeah, he talks to some incredible entrepreneurs. The entrepreneur from um, DCM, which is, if you know, The Ordinary, which is a skincare product, part of that company. I mean, it's not something I would normally ever listen to. I don't know why I listened to it. To you know, I can't even remember why, but it was one of the best episodes I've ever listened to. Like, it was really incredible. She has a really incredible story to share. And then also um, kind of obsessed with AI at the moment, which probably most people are. And he has Mo, who was the former head. Uh, he's got his own podcast too, of course, called Slow Mo. But um, Mo was the former head of Google X and, again, has he's, he's been on two episodes and just talking it like he's obviously exposed to He's got his own book I'm reading at the moment as well. Well, it's so funny. It's so it's such a dichotomy. Like his first book was about the happiness and that that shares more about his personal story and his personal life and why he got there. And I don't want to ruin it for the listeners, but you have to listen. And then his current book is all about AI. So Scary Smart. It's a fantastic book. Highly recommend it. I mean, given the space we're in, like everyone should be all over this and understanding its potential impacts and good and bad. You've added a bit of listening to my listening list as well, which is already quite long, but uh, I'll work my way through it and make sure I get there. Always good to hear about other awesome podcasts. Oh, and your own. Give your own podcast a plug. Oh, yes, of course. Connect to Capital. So our former chair, Catherine Robson, hosted the first season of that. He's literally connecting you with capital across ANZ and overseas. We speak to a whole range of different investors in the ecosystem that invest at the early stage uh, and beyond. And season two will be coming out in a couple of weeks. So listen in. I'm co-hosting the last bit of that, obviously. (laughs) Well, we'll make sure we put links to all of those in the show notes. Um, Fabulous. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being open. I mean, it was back when the management buyout happened and you put something on LinkedIn and I reached out and said, hey, let's have a chat about that. It's taken us a while to get around to it, but here we are finally. So thank you for being open, you know, for taking the call and being open to the conversation and for taking your time today to share your wisdom with the Take On Board community. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women and gender diverse people together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd also really love it if you could do some of the other, well, podcast things. Share the podcast with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.